my name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Lisa Marie Platsky. She is an award-winning certified master coach, leadership expert, speaker, and international best-selling author. She's been recognized by the White House and the Small Business Administration. Her mission is to transform lives through leadership by teaching mission-driven and service-based entrepreneurs, consultants, and corporate leaders how to live out their big mission in the world. So she's written like one of the really amazing things. I, I was going through your website and I was expecting to find, you know, a couple of books, but you've written six books, probably more than that, but you've got six on, on your website and all the different publications you've been in and just major organizations that have enlisted your expertise, um, it, it blew my mind. I, uh, I was really excited when, when you agreed to uh, come on the show and, and share some of your wisdom and, and some of your experiences. So thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks, Dave. I'm so excited to be here. I, I, you know, I did the same thing. I, I did my homework on you and was like, wow, this is pretty cool guy. So I want to be here and, and uh, get to spend some time with you and your audience. So thanks for having me. I, I always like to start off where it all began uh, and, and really get a sense of your background and what really helped you develop and into who you are. So um, where were you born and raised and, and, you know, what did your family do when you were growing up? I love that question because I believe that our families do shape us. And I was born and raised in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is a sort of a medium sized town in, in, in Pennsylvania. My major influencers were my grandparents because my mom and, and dad, my dad left when I was six. And, you know, back then growing up, divorce was not very common. And so him leaving, it was a really big deal. There were kids in the neighborhood that weren't allowed to play with my sister and I because they were concerned, their families were concerned that divorce was contagious. I mean, literally there was just such misunderstandings about it. You know, today it seems like people have conversations. It seems like a, a natural. And yet back then, you know, that, that was just so rare. And that meant being raised by a single mom who relied very heavily on my grandparents. So they had such an influential role in my upbringing. 
And my grandfather saw me like, like nobody else. Like he really saw, I was watching an episode of Merv Griffin growing up and he said, you know, Lisa, you're going to be just like that guest. Someday you're going to speak to thousands of people. And I was like, what is he talking about? But my grandfather had this amazing ability to see people and see what they were doing. So I, you know, I, I, I really treasure every moment that I had with him growing up. And my grandmother, on the other hand, was, you know, provided this grounding, the sense of grounding in the family. My mom, in shaping me, gave me tools of resilience and tools of, you know, it's not the life that she had planned for herself. I watched her work really hard. So that, that shaped me to take a stand for myself. It's, it shaped me to be wildly independent. It, it shaped me in that my mom was always involved in organizations and volunteering and giving her time, even though she had, uh, didn't have the financial resources. And so, you know, that, that shaped me in wanting to be of service. And, um, you know, and, you know, while my father wasn't around and, Seventeen was the last time I talked to him, and my dad, my dad did serve serve time, did go to prison at some point. What I would say is, what he gave me in all of that is, I think people do the best they can with what they have, and with the tools that my dad had in his toolbox, he did the best that he could. And him leaving, I think he did it because he knew that we deserved better. It didn't make it easy. And growing up with six sets of step parents as a kid was, wasn't easy. And um, my mom's, um, you know, the, you know, my, my, uh, uh, with six sets of step parents, there was domestic violence. There was, you know, it was, it was not easy, but I, but I, and I also attribute that to me having the the compassion and the empathy and the, the, the gifts that I have today. So it, it taught me to not be afraid of hardship. One of the things that, that you just said about your father, like so many people that I know that have a, a similar story struggle with saying anything nice about that parent that left. Um, and being able to say, you know, they did the best that they could with the tools that they had, I, I think is, that's a hard place to get to, but it, it allows you to have a, a freedom that you didn't have before. It, and and I, I don't want to go too far this way because I, I have this other question. Um, <laughs> what did your grandfather do for a living? My grandfather did not was not a highly educated man. My grandfather went to eighth grade, and that was the maximum amount of education that he had. And uh, he was very much, he had the belief that women should get married and have babies, and that's it. And my grandfather worked three jobs. He was, he worked at a meatpacking plant. He was a bartender um, and he did odd jobs and people loved my grandfather. Like he was just, he was really gave me amazing work ethic. Um, and 
my grandfather also saw women as being less valuable than men. And so he really wanted grandsons. He did not want granddaughters. So I thought that like every kid who was little, you know, went out on rainy days and put on their things to dig worms because that's what I did as a kid, you know, when we were little so that he could go fishing. Like I didn't know that that was not typically the thing that most little girls do. But my grandfather so valued, valued, you know, um, you know, the, the hierarchy with, with men at the top. Um, so the jobs that he had at the meatpacking plants and bartender, you know, were, were, were guys guy jobs, if you will. You, you went to school, you, uh, you graduated from high school and did you go, um, did you go into college or did you go for the, the law enforcement job right out of high school? No, I went to college and that's really fabulous because I wasn't going to apply to college. You know, nobody in my family was college educated. It wasn't something that was, um, you know, my, my dad was a machinist, you know, my mom was, was a nurse and it was not encouraged to go to college. And it was actually one of my friends in high school that was like, well, are you going to go get a job then? And I was like, oh, you mean like the choice is like go to school some more or get a job. And I'm pretty good in school. So I think I'll try that to do more school stuff. But since my family didn't have that, you know, that background, there was actually an article in the newspaper, a small little article, and it said like, you know, how to apply for college. And so my mom and I went to these four uh, they were free things that the, that the newspaper put on. You know, back then there wasn't the internet. You didn't have the internet. You went to the library to do things or you read the newspaper. And so the newspaper came out and it said, um, you know, these, these courses, these, these um, informational sessions would be to teach you how to fill out a college application. If you wanted to go to college, what you had to do, what the steps were. It was four weeks for an hour and a half, like on Tuesday night or something like that. And so my mom took me over there to do that. And we sat through the classes and we learned. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I mean, it was money. You had to put, you had to send in an application fee. And, you know, we, we were, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and my dad didn't contribute child support. And this was a, a really big deal to send out a check for $35. It was like, this is a lot of money to apply for these colleges. You have to be very discerning. Um, and the, the truth is the reason why I did it was because the idea of getting a job for me was like so unappealing that uh, I wanted to continue the school journey. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But, uh -huh. but then you, you went into a really tough career field, like where you really had to work. So tell me about that. Well, but you know what, Dave, the thing about it was I didn't, I didn't, it, you know, the saying ignorance is bliss is true because I went into law enforcement because I went into, first, first off, I, I majored in criminal justice because as a kid, the police came, they were the good guys. They came and saved the day when things were ugly. And I called the police for domestic violence who came to save my mom from getting beaten up and who saved us and pulled us from that situation were the police. The police were the good guys. The police were, were the, the superheroes in the story, if you will. So for me, the idea of law enforcement and criminal justice 
was appealing. And the other thing was, there was something for me about proving myself worthy in a man's world, because my grandfather and everybody did not have the belief that women could could do the things that men can that I was like, I'll be darned. So I majored in criminal justice, because some guy that was the son of one of my mom's friends said he majored in criminal justice. And I thought I could do that. I could, I mean, like, like literally it wasn't like this, I'm going to go and put a uniform on. So when you say like you went and did something hard, the only thing I knew about criminal justice was mostly guys do it. And Oh, by the way, on TV, we've got this show called Charlie's angels and they get to do really cool stuff. Like I had no idea of like the hard work it would take the, the amounts of, of mental stress that you put yourself through the physical components of it at the academy. And when I got out of the academy and they gave me this, this, badge that had words like this officer possesses integrity. I was like, wow, I do. Like it was, it was this eye-opening <laughs> thing, you know? And and then they packed a gun home with me. And I'm going, oh my gosh, this stuff's getting real. Like I'm literally going to be in the blue uniform with the gun, like going to work. I did not have enough consciousness at the time in my 20s to think all of those things out. Like some people go into law enforcement and they go, yeah, like this is the, you know, this is what I want to do. And it's noble and it's a profession that I love. And I, you know, I've been dreaming about this since I'm six years old. That was not me. It was, it was, I'm going to do something that people say that I can't do and I'm going to do it really well. Just watch me. But I didn't really understand, you know, the, when I'm putting on that uniform, oh my gosh, I'm risking my life. So that that didn't come until until later. Now, how old were you when you got hired on with your first agency? Well, that actually was interesting because there was a hiring freeze. I put in for a job and then I was supposed to 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 you know to get hired and then they sent me a letter and said, "Oh, well there's a hiring freeze, like you're hired but you're but you're really not like you're not you're not going so it was 25 when I and thank heavens it was 25 because I don't think you know at at 22 or 23 or 24 I you know I I think it was better that it was it was later on so that was my my uh my first stepping in to law enforcement so what did you do in that in that lapse of time I worked in banking I got a job in banking and I was waiting, you know, and I didn't know it was going to be three years. I didn't know how long it was going to be. I got out of college and it was like, okay, now what am I going to do? And I, I also applied for other jobs. I had shared with you when we spoke earlier that you know, I applied for, for um, you know, a local probation department. And in that I, I got to experience, you know, firsthand my first experience with sexual harassment, which was fascinating um, as a 22 year old who really didn't know what was what she was experiencing. And, and so banking was something that I had done when I went home in summer in the summertime. Uh, um, it, I will tell you that when I got the letter to move into law enforcement, I almost didn't take it like there was this piece about the level of comfort, you know, you have a job, you know what you're doing, you're making money, you're and, and then it was like, no, this is my dream, like to, to go into law enforcement. 
but but that was so foreign and scary and it would require me leaving my small town and the area to move into in air quotes you know the big city working in newark because i had gotten hired in newark new jersey and and um manhattan so you're you know you're you're moving from this pennsylvania mid-sized town to a place where you have four lane highways is I guess the best way you can you can just that I can explain it to you and um and that was really scary earlier you mentioned that you moved up rather quickly I did and and I'm wondering well can you give me the pros and cons of that and then maybe what you attribute that rapid ascension to was it your mentors or just your your will, your willpower? Well, that's I, you know I don't know that I've ever been asked that. Like, what what was it? Like, what was that thing? I will tell you that for me, I've always been fascinated with leadership. And so, how do people ascend? Like, how do they how do they get where they're at? Like, how do they how do they not stay in the same position over, you know, and, and do the same job over and over and over again. I've always just been curious about that. And so I remember when I first took the job before we, before I went to the academy, like I would say it was probably the, it might've even been day number one on the job. I got hired with three guys and they had us in this meeting with the person who would have been like, I guess if you were to say it would have been my, like my boss's boss, I've been like my boss's boss's, you know, boss would be kind of be like the, the layer of, of, of where this person would have been, you know, in, in the, in the agency, because the agency was, um, the Newark, New York area was just a very large area. And so since they had several thousand employees, you had multiple levels, multiple layers, where if you were in a smaller area, you wouldn't necessarily have that. You wouldn't have had it necessarily in a Philadelphia, even though Philadelphia seems like a large city. It, the Newark, New York area was just much larger. So I um, remember sitting that first day and they asked if we have questions because it's your first day on the job and you're, you know, with this person who's like, a, you know, a, a superior and has, you know, is sitting there in the suit. They're, they've actually, they are no longer in uniform because of the position that they're in and they're, they're sitting there in the suit and I, I don't I don't even remember the person's the gentleman's name. I just remember him asking like what questions. And we, as we went around, one of the guys asked a question about um, you know time off, and another guy asked a question about benefits, and somebody asked a question about something else with the academy because we were getting ready to go to the academy later in the week. And I didn't say anything. And that's typically my mo in leadership is that let other people talk, be curious, and there'll be a time for you to be able to speak. And I find that so often when someone has something that they want to say, you know, they, they, they don't pause. They're, they're not willing to, to, to wait and pause and see what else is there. And so I was just taking it all in. I was taking the whole experience in. And so he then turned to me and said, don't you have any questions? And I said, I do. And um, I said, my question is, how long has it taken you to where you to to get to where you're at right now. Because I wanted to know how long it took him to be in that position in that seat. And he said to me, 17 years. 
And I said to myself, not out loud, but to myself, there ain't no way it's going to take me 17 years to be in that position. Like, that's exactly how I felt. It was like, I'm here and I'm going to be here in order to be able to, to advance. And so what I understand about life is that life is connection, you know, connection of people. That's one of the things my grandfather taught me. And so, you know, at 80, my grandfather had standing room at his funeral because he was so beloved in so many communities, in a golf community, in a drinking community, in a, you know, in, in so many different ways. And so life is about people. It's about connection. You know, it's our humanity. It's our, it's our, you know, even in law enforcement, like everything is about connection. And so for me, learning and serving and going above and beyond and that was all important and so i you know i i did get involved and when you ask the question to circle back to like what did it take and how did you get there number one i was really clear that i was going to get promoted quickly like i was really clear that that was what i wanted and number two i recognized that when the guys didn't like me and i didn't get rewarded which was like a big surprise for me because as being the A student and used to getting what I wanted, these guys did not like me. You know, I was hair and nails. I had long blonde hair, I had red, white, and blue nails. You know, I was law enforcement Barbie to them and they did not see me as an equal or a peer that I signed up for a leadership development program. I put myself through it. I had to write all these essays to do it. It was outside the agency. Um, because I knew that I was failing. I knew the guys didn't love working for me and I had to figure out what to do, what to navigate. I learned that because they didn't value me, part of it is because they didn't understand me. And so I started to get curious with the guys. I started sharing parts of me that I wasn't, that I didn't normally share. I started learning about them. I started sharing part, like one of the things is, you know, God is important to me. I started talking about that. Um, I got curious about what was important to them. And one of the other things that I did was I stopped trying so hard to prove that I was perfect. And one of the things about da a danger of being a woman in law enforcement is that because guys are looking at you and some of them for you to fail, I worked really hard for me, for them to never see a crack in the armor. And the danger to that is you then become inhuman. And so I became vulnerable. And instead of, I learned, I expanded my vocabulary and I learned three new words. I don't know. Um, and, you know, in doing that, it, 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 it allowed there to be a connection to the guys I was working with. And, and so I, I think that that allowed the promotion to be possible. And then the connection to, um, to myself and my own voice. So probably a longer answer than you wanted, but that's, that's, that's really the trajectory of what happened. No, that wasn't a, a longer answer. That was <laughs> a really awesome answer. I Thanks, Dave. To, well, no, to, to be able to hear your experience and, and how you were able to navigate being in a leadership role in a male-dominated organization, especially a bunch of men that didn't think you deserved to be there, and then being able to be successful in that role, what it took, and, and what you're just saying about the communication part of it, and, and connecting with them, learning what they valued, so that, because I, I think this is about 
like servant leadership, being that leader that can help other people develop and become successful themselves. And you being able to do that, I, I just it's just so powerful. And I don't think many people recognize that early on in their career, just how powerful that is. Um, you're a living testament to that. So. I don't know that I recognized how powerful it was early on. Like, I don't know that I really understood that. You know, I, I made lots of mistakes, Dave. Like I, I didn't, I didn't ask enough questions early on and I didn't, uh, I didn't position myself as, I, you know, once again, I positioned myself as being perfect. Right. And that's not helpful. And then, you know, um, there's times when I positioned myself as not knowing anything and, and sort of swinging the pendulum back and forth to, to figure that out. And I, I, you and I have had conversations about emotional intelligence, you know, outside of the interview. And I feel that, there's there's not enough given like one of the things in our our agency is that we don't give leadership training until people have already become leaders like meaning a in, in terms of a title yeah. we don't give it at the academy because we assume people don't need it until they actually have the title and what i recognized was that when i got promoted and they sent me to two weeks of supervisory leadership training that there were so many things that I didn't know that would have been helpful early on in my career. And I was getting it being the fastest promoted officer. What about the people who had spent 20 years on the job and had never gotten any of it? How is that doing a, a you know, it, it, it's a, it's a disservice. So I made so many mistakes that, that it, it, I mean, I had a choice to either learn more, meaning like read more books, find out more, do better, so that I could win, which is, which is my goal in life. Like, how do I become the best version of who I'm called to be each and every single day in me being on that journey meant I went and had to find things out on my own because they didn't give it to me. They didn't, they didn't tell me that it was something that I needed. And I didn't even know that I was missing it. <laughs> and so, you know, the, 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 the awareness and those elements to, to be promoted. I, I didn't even know that. I remember when they promoted me, my area director called me in and called me in separately. There were two other gentlemen that were promoted at the same time. Like I say, there were several thousand people of us that worked in, in the, in the New York area. And, and I was promoted. I was being sent to an office that had guys that had 37 years on the job. I had four at the time and they had promoted, they had applied for the job and didn't get it. Um, 30 years on the job, you know, these were senior officers that they were sending me to work with and to supervise. And instead of she, she, she brought me in with the other two guys that she promoted and then she dismissed them and she kept me there and she asked me a question and she said, are you ready for this? And I said, I hope so. Or I think so. I said something like that. And she said, that's not the answer I'm looking for. She said, you damn well, better be ready for this. And I was like, my eyes got really big. And I went, oh my gosh, much like going to the academy, like the stuff's gotten real here. Like, you know, <laughs> we're going into it. Like, this is not like, this is not just cavalier. Like, hey, you got promoted and they're going to give you more money. And now you got a title and you get another little bar on your uniform. Oh no, no. Like these people are going to eat you up. Like, this is not, they do not want you to succeed. So it, it was an eye-opening experience, you know, being in all of that. And, and I think that 
when humans know each other, like when there's the connection, then, then you want somebody to succeed. But if you're the person who come in and is, is taking the job that they wanted, no, they don't want you to succeed. And, and not from a place that they're mean or, or, or not, you know, not good people, but just the humanity of, um, I don't know. And like, what in the world could this person possibly have with four years of experience? So I don't know that I knew all of those things. And I was, I was a terrible supervisor early on. I just didn't have the, I didn't have the background, the experience of, um, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know, what, you know, that I needed to learn. But the leadership piece is the reason why I ended up being so successful in my career, like, you know, long term. I feel like that is a, a double-edged sword, you know, for, especially in, you know, public safety, the moving up quickly, because it's, it's hard to earn respect that you should have already earned in the eyes of the people that you're leading, you know? Yes, I do. <laughs> so, um, well, I I'm curious, you then went on to further your education. Was that while you were still within uh, the agency? Yes, yes. And, and, and what, did, what was that? Uh, additional education that you received well I, you know i was i was on a i was on a money a money team an outbound team uh, uh, which was looking for large shipments of money coming into the country in exchange for the drugs that went out and so i was on this team and i'm like i think that i need to go back to school and get my master's degree and I didn't know what it would be for. I just knew that once again, leadership and advancement, and if you're going to move on and, and the guys were like, you know, someday you'll be the assistant commissioner. And so with that idea it was like, well, you know, you want the education. And so the, the New Jersey state police had a program through Seton hall university that you could go and get your master's degree at nighttime because in law enforcement, much I'm sure like fire, you know, you don't have regular schedules. So it's not like you can attend classes in the same way that other people can. So they literally brought the instructors and the whole staff from, from Seton Hall to uh, um, our organization and uh, not to our, it was like, uh, there were different, there were different uh, police organizations that could attend classes and then they were delivered there and you didn't have the same attendance requirements and they knew that if you were in the middle of class and you got a call and you had to leave well then you know you had to leave and so they were very understanding and so i was like i'm gonna do this now meanwhile i'm not promoted yet and um i talk my partner uh, I don't know if I talk him into it. I, yeah, I, I kind of talk him into it. And I'm like, you should do this with me. So, um, and he says, you know, my wife will kill me. He's like, she still hasn't finished her degree. And I'm now I'm going to go back and say, like, I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, you should do it. We should do this together. And so uh, I ended up going back to school for my, my master's, but through a very different kind of program. And I got it in human resources, training and development with a certification in leadership. And I did a, a, a thesis in mentorship, uh, formal versus informal mentorship. And it's for all of the reasons that we've talked about was, I just wanted to, be, to learn, how do I become better at the work that I'm doing? Like, how do I become the best at what I'm doing? And I learned so much about myself in that process 
um, the really sort of devastating thing is that the, one of the instructors and the person who was my biggest mentor in that season of life is, is somebody who lost his life in, in 9-11, my, you know, my, my, my mentor, Tony. And um, I learned so much from him in that season that I then it was then I had gotten promoted and I would not have been successful early on without his mentorship and without that experience of the education. But I can't really say it was like I, I ever said to myself, I'm going to get my master's degree someday. It was more looking at who do you need to be, which is the, the it's what I tell clients nowadays in my leadership coaching company. Like, who do you need to be? If you want that opportunity, who do you need to be to get it? And a lot of times people look at, mm, I think, the qualifications rather than like who they need to be. Like, what do you need to let go of? What do you, how do you have to change your mind, change your brain, rewire your thinking around something? And so that program would, you know, had given me the opportunity to do that. Was there like a, a turning point or something that, that happened in your life that led you to say, you know what, I'm done with this law enforcement stuff. I'm, I'm going to go this way. Or was it a gradual move? It's a great question. So no, um, I when I would be at work, the guys would say to me regularly, you don't belong here. Like you should, you know, you should go work somewhere else. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, I so belong here. Like, I love this work and I love what we do. And we stand for something and this is meaningful. Um, and, and for anybody who is an independent free thinker and has had to work in a government organization, they understand that also there's almost like a, why do we do it this way? That doesn't make any sense. Why do we do it this way? I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Like you're, you're, when you're an independent free thinker and you see different avenues, you also are going to come against up against people who say, this is the only way we do it. This is the way we do it. This is the way we've always done it. Keep doing it that way, but it doesn't work. That's okay. We still do it this way. Okay. And so there was this part of me that was becoming increasingly like, huh, that's interesting. So I just doubled down on the leadership part. And in getting involved in leadership, I reached out to people in headquarters, I went to things like the women in federal law enforcement uh, conferences, and I would apply for things that involved leadership because I wanted different perspectives, why stuff got done. And so when you ask, like, was there this switch that said, now go and open your own business or now go and do this? It wasn't that there was a gradual, like, um, um, interest. And so several, I want to say this is 2000. I was invited to attend to train the trainer, mostly senior leaders. It was only myself and one other person that were like first line supervisors and everyone else had, uh, um, what I would call, you know, mid-level senior leadership. And I was invited to help with the training and the curriculum at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Because what they found is that the instructors that were down there that were full-time instructors had not spent time in the field in a while. And so they couldn't share what the differences were. You know, they could apply it in book text, but not like when you actually show up what happens. So we were in the process of in conversation there 
And then 9-11 happened. And so um, that changed my assignment, that changed what I was doing. But when I was at that training, they seated me alphabetically next to a, a man whose last name was Platsky. My last name was Polanski. I don't hyphenate because I'd be Lisa Marie Polanski Platsky. And that's like way too much for anybody to handle. Okay. And so, and so we dated, but we'd see each other every three weeks. You know, I don't want a serious relationship. He says, good. I don't want a serious relationship. Like, this is just good. Like I'm loving my career. He's got his career. And um, he proposes. And so it's like, well, now what are we going to do? I'm, 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 you know, we met when I'm in living in New Jersey. He's working in DC. I take an assignment at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center down in Georgia. He takes one to California. Like, like I say, we're seeing each other every couple of weeks. And when he proposes, I'm like, all right, then like, what are we going to do here? And I had taken a job then at the in Dallas, Texas. And it was friends of mine that said, you know, usually people live in the same household when they get married. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how that would work. And, you know, loving my career, loving what I'm doing and, and him as well. And um, I left, you know, I, I left and people thought I was either sick or pregnant or something happened bad. Like, you know, because law enforcement can be some doom and gloom stuff. And you know, I left and I was like, I'm, I'm, I don't know how I can be successful in marriage with this 24 seven career being married to somebody else with a 24 seven career. Like I don't, I can't wrap my head around it. And I always loved leadership. So it really was having the courage to take a leap of faith and and Dave, I didn't know, like, I didn't, I mean, I was moving 3000 miles away from my closest friend or family member. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody in business. I didn't know anybody who opened a business. I didn't know how this was going to work out, but, but, uh, but marriage was the thing that propelled me to take the leap of faith. Cause I always, I thought I'd still be, be in law enforcement today. Do you have more than six books? I do. I do. And I'm in the process of, uh, writing a book now that's a little unusual. So um, it's, uh, I was not, I was called to write this book. I was not looking to write this book. And I don't think I was looking to write any of my books, honestly. Um, I think they all, all called me, but this one is actually all about how to run a business with a divine operating system. Most of the decisions that I make in life are, okay, God, where do you want me now? Okay, God, do you want me there? Okay, I'll move there. All right, I'll quit that, okay. And so how do you do that? And most people run a business very differently than I do. And so um, I have a colleague who asked about, would, would I consider putting it on paper, what I've done over the last 18 years to get this business and run it in, she calls it consciousness, I call it God, same thing. I'm not attached to whether or not people don't have to believe what I believe. I just, um, I call it the Holy Spirit. I say, she calls it consciousness but to be able to, to be in this conversation. And so um, each book that's been given me has come from a place of somebody has said, oh, this is needed or, or and, and I feel the, the, this book has called me. So that would be seven. How many books have you actually written now? No, there's, 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 there are seven and this would be eight. Yeah, I only saw six on your. Yeah, there, there. I don't. There's one I don't. I, there's one I don't really talk about. 
Is that yeah. from high, high school? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, it's not, it's not a, um, it, it's, it's sort of like the evolution of who you are. I, I think that our, our thoughts and our beliefs, they, they shift and change. And so it's just not one that's relevant to, to, to where, to, to the person I am today. Yeah, no, I, I, I tell people, you know, I started writing my book in 2010 and it wasn't until 2020 that I actually finished it. And it really doesn't resemble the book that I started. Right, exactly. Um, and, and thank God I didn't publish any of that stuff. <laughs> well, but it, you, you do evolve. Exactly, exactly. And that's not a bad, like, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Like, it's not something where I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm ashamed and like, we're hiding it or anything like that. It's not that it's just, it, it isn't going to help somebody forward, you know, move forward quickly, which is the purpose of having the book anyway. And so, you know, maybe at some point, I'll take other ones down that they're not like, it's, it's not that it's, it's not that it's bad information. It's just, is there something more current, like one of my books, we put out twice, like in the sense that there's a second edition, and it's because some of the research we used evolved. And, and so, it, it, it's it's almost a disservice for people to read the old stuff, not because they're not going to get something out of it. So I, I think you're right. Like the one in 2010, like if you would have put it out, it probably would have been fabulous for 2010. But would it be fabulous for what you've learned from 2020? Maybe not, right? So yeah. that's it. And when your eighth book publishes, it'll be available on your website? It will. It will. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be available on, on, uh, on Amazon and on other places. You know, this is my, my, uh, the woman that I'm writing this with who actually reached out to me is, is, um, the journey of us even coming together is a, is a, is just a, such a crazy one. And so, uh, she's got more, uh, uh, more ideas with that than I do. What are the seven pillars of leadership? And, and where does that come from? Where, you know, I, I know that you've applied these things, but, well, I'll just let you answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, Dave, the truth is I wanted a shortcut. You know, I shared with you, I didn't know anybody in business and I didn't know, like, how am I gonna have a business? How in the world is this gonna work? Okay, I'm gonna leave law enforcement, I'm gonna have a business. That sounds great in theory. But like, what am I going to sell? And, and what, you know, am I going to sell John Maxwell's leadership principles? Am I going to sell? And then it was like, no, I don't know. I don't know what it takes to be successful in business. So I started to ask people, same thing like the, like the, the thesis. I went out and I asked people questions about the businesses that they had. I remember one woman who I still am in touch with, who sat down with me and, um, and she said, you know, I got involved in leadership and I made the decision that every year I would buy one property, you know, and after 20 years, I have 20 properties. And I went, you could do that? Like, that's pretty cool. And, and so that goes back to that clarity. So these seven pillars of leadership, that's where they came from. And it was because I wanted a shortcut in running my own business. But then it's what I ended up going out and, and companies ended up, I had 14 modules of leadership. They didn't want that. They wanted these seven pillars that I had gone and done research on that were actually proven. And so... Um, they all start with a P 
And so pillar number one is start with a start with a written plan, understand the end in mind. So it's the plan. Number two is understand your personality, uh, personality, what hinders you, what helps you, what allows you to move forward, what's going to get in your way. Pillar number three is creating powerful partnerships. Everybody that he interviewed was really good at, once again, connection and having these partnerships that were often informal. Pillar number four is live your priority, understanding really, really, really what's your number one priority. You never have priorities. They don't exist. You have priority. You have one thing that's important to you. I've had clients who've missed their daughter's wedding because work was more important. Understand what it is and understand what the consequences are. That's what I got from all those interviews. Pillar number five is creating a meaningful and memorable presence. Presence presence was really one that came up over and over again in different ways. Being physically present, like we're dialed in, we're here, there's no distractions around me. You know, being present, being, um, it also involved gratitude. People who were highly successful were grateful for everything, including the challenges. And the other thing was, presence in terms of positioning, like how to position their presence, understanding what to say, who to say it to, when to say it in order to be able to have whatever they wanted to lead in their companies and their organizations. Six was progress, evaluate your progress, a constant state of evaluation. Am I really going where I'm supposed to go? Not being one of those organizations or people who does it once a year and goes, how did we get here? Um, and seven, the last one was investing in both personal and professional development. A lot of people invest in professional development, but they don't invest in personal development. You know, I'm doing a retreat next week, a leadership retreat at my home. And, you know, there are people coming and we really get into like, who are you? And not from a terms of like, I don't care about what happened to you 20 years ago. I'm, this isn't therapy, but it's like, who do you have to become? And, and that investing in personal development as well as professional development is, is really important. It's, it's why I go away on retreats. So those are the seven. And, you know, that, that's, uh, that's all came from research. Just me wanting a shortcut. I'm, I'm looking at your website right now um, <laughs> because I wanted to see which book you talk about those seven pillars. I don't. I don't talk about it in any of them. What? <laughs> I don't talk about it in any of them. No, Dave, actually, I have a conference, my Upside Summit, and I spend three days diving into them in that conference. I do it once a year. I've done it 15 years. And um, it's when I talk about them the most, other than going into companies. Like, I just I just did a presentation last week. and But I, I haven't written about them. And um and I get asked that, and I was thinking I was going to do that before this, you know, this book came up, but it, it just, it just hasn't come up and, and it might, but I, but I have a conference I've done 15 years around these seven pillars. So, you know, it's when I talk well, about it. I, I would imagine that there are bits and pieces of that in your books though. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just not comprehensive, like all condensed down into one book. Yeah. For those listening, what is the best way to connect with you if they want to enlist your services as a coach, a mentor, or to have uh, have you come to their organization to speak? Um, you know, I know you can get your books at, on your website or on Amazon, but to know which books are yours, go to go to your website so you can see them there. Um, but uh, 
is that the best way to connect with you is your website or uh, yeah. a certain social media platform yeah i i am i am um so on my website which is upsidethinking.com u-p-s-i-d-e and the word thinking t-h-i-n-k-i-n-g.com on there you can if you want to have a conversation on my first on the front page there's actually a calendar link to be able to connect with me and I love I happen to be on Facebook and LinkedIn I'm not that complicated but I'm really good to to respond and uh, you know I I love connection it's what I you know it's 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 the the human part so um best place to find me on my website and then and then social media channels for everybody listening I will have the link to her website in the show notes um definitely check her out, check out her books, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to another conversation with you. So thank And you the so same, much. Dave, like, and the same, like you have an incredible background and the things that you've done and the, the, the and what you've seen, uh, you know, it's, it really has been an honor. Like, I, I feel like we've known each other for a long time. And so being here is, is a dialogue and conversation. And I, I hope that those listening feel like they were able to pull up a chair in the living room with us and just join in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.